Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio has a 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Joe Anthony Pagnata with you guys as always. And today we are back. It is me and Josh. And for the first time in a long time, um, we, you know, are going to have Toriel football ties into the main topics that we're talking about on the show today. But these topics that we're talking about today are a little more general in terms of college football. And it's at a point now where we have to talk about these two storylines. One that has surfaced here very recently um, and is the talk of ACC meetings down in the state of Florida. And another one that's, you know, kind of been a big time story for the last year, but in, in particular, really the last two or three months. Um, and needs to be brought up a little bit more as there are new guidelines that are in place for the NIL. So we're going to talk about that. The other thing uh, that we're talking about is the ACC closing in on uh, potentially eliminating divisions. So uh, that that's something that could potentially happen throughout all of college football. So it wouldn't only be the ACC. It would be uh, in the Big Ten. It would be in the SEC. So uh, well, we'll talk about in specific what it would mean for the ACC, who looks like they are the conference that is going to headman that operation uh, for as, as soon as the 2023 season. And then we'll also tell you on the way out, a couple of closing notes, uh, includes a couple of recruiting tidbits and uh, a guy that is transferring from the program uh, that maybe some people didn't know was leaving the program. But as I mentioned, we are going to start with the ACC, uh, you know, closing in on being the first conference that is going to cut divisions that currently has divisions. Now, again, this is not unheard of. The Big 12 does this. Uh, now, again, they are a much smaller conference uh, than any of the other conferences, any of the other power conferences, I should say, in college football. With only 10 teams, they choose to go with a model that has them play nine conference games, which means that each team plays everybody. And then at the end of the year, uh, they just take the top two teams and match them up in Dallas in a conference championship game. And as we saw this past year, it worked out pretty well for them. They had a team that was on the brink of going to the college football playoff at Oklahoma State and a team in Baylor that pulled the upset and, you know, still had an opportunity going into selection Sunday uh, or selection day of being put into the college football playoff field. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is something that a lot of people around the ACC in general have wanted and have thought would make this conference better. But ultimately, I think that's a little bit more of a question mark than maybe some people believe. What do you think about this thought, buddy, that the ACC is, is potentially going to cut divisions? 
and that overall this helps the conference as a whole? I I do think most years it'll well, I mean not most years, you would get the two best teams um playing for the conference championship in Charlotte, and it would make the conference title game a much better, much watchable, much more uh just a much much just a better product. It may be in the eight o'clock time slot most years, but that's that title game is usually an afterthought because the Big Ten title game is going on. Um, you're coming off the end of the SEC title game, which is usually around four o'clock, and the ACC kind of gets swept under the rug because before last year it was, you know, who's Clemson playing and how bad is Clemson going to beat them? Um, that was like that way for six or seven years, and because um, there was times at the what the Coastal had to offer wasn't as good as the second best team, what the Atlantic had to offer. And you, you, if you get rid of divisions, then that there's a good chance that does go away from a, from a Tar Heel perspective, it would make it right now a lot harder to envision Carolina getting to the ACC title game on a much more consistent basis, which as we're entering year four of, of Mac Brown, that's the expectation in and around Chapel Hill because you were banking on the coastal chaos just allowing you, whether you were really, really good or even not really, really good, to still find a way to maybe make your way to Charlotte with, you know, with what's going on with NC State, with what Wake Forest has built up over the last couple of years under Dave Clawson. Um, Jeff Halfley has really got Boston College trending in the right direction. And you'd imagine at some point Florida State's going to be Florida State again. Um, so, you know, I, I think for the, for the football conference as a whole it's the best move it's the smartest move as carolina fans though it would make it tougher to envision us being in charlotte you know on an every year basis or so moving forward well yeah i mean i i think that's that seems pretty clear um now i will say this i think the narrative of the coastal being so far um so, so far inferior to the atlantic um, is a lazy take. Uh, I think that was witnessed two years ago, back in 2020, when Carolina finished third in the ACC. Now, of course, that was because you had Notre Dame in the conference. They went to the conference title game against Clemson. But I really think that it, it you would still see coastal teams be very competitive in this. I still think especially if they continue to use the transfer portal the way that they have, you would imagine that Pittsburgh is going to be in that conversation pretty heavily. Um, Miami, with what we're going to talk about here in a minute with NIL, is definitely a team that is going to have a fighting chance to get themselves some really good talent, both on the recruiting trail and in the transfer portal, and have themselves competitive again. And – I mean, look, you know, I, I think what, clearly this is a huge year for Carolina, mm. but the, Carolina has the talent right now. They are recruiting the talent. And, you know, Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports, who is just a rising star in college football media, um, he, he said it today. Look, in order to be a really good coach in college football, you have to be able to recruit the talent first. You have to have the talent there to be able to then develop the talent. So Carolina's got the talent. They're trending in the right direction there. And, I mean, you know, some of the teams from the Atlantic, I mean, yes, I'm with you. Florida State's eventually going to get back on the right track. Boston College, you know, yeah, if Jeff Hapley stays there, I think that's a possibility. I just don't know how much, how long he actually stays there before he would get a bigger job because, you know, Boston College, I mean, they've had moments where they've had success, but as a whole, they, they've kind of been one of those programs that they just have those flashes and then they seem to fall, fall off. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I with, with NC State and, and with Wake Forest, I think it's kind of see it to believe it. And I don't think that any of those teams that I just talked about there are really that much different than the three teams that I talked about from the coastal. Um, clearly though, yes, as a Carolina fan, I think that you should probably be 
on the bandwagon of what most of the coaches are. Um, and this is what was reported today. Brandon Marcello, um, who we are going to have on, I'll have him on in the next edition of the podcast. Um, and we're going to ask him about everything that's going on with this situation down in Florida. He's actually down there right now um, at, at the ACC meetings. You know, the coaches split on this decision, as you would expect. The coastal coaches want, or, want it to remain status quo. They want things to remain the way they are. And, you know, it, it, it definitely makes sense considering the fact that, you know, that they, they don't want to throw in that extra element of having some of these Atlantic teams in there every year. You just have to navigate the, the six other teams in your side of the coastal. And let's be honest, I think at this point, barring something shocking, it looks like it's going to take a while for Duke and maybe even Georgia Tech to get back into that range of being, uh, you know, competitive and, and, and a year-in, year-out threat in the coastal. So, of course, they're pushing back against it. The ADs, though, relatively on board. Miami athletic director, um, Dan Radakovich said today that, look, they, you know, it, they didn't get something done today, anything in place yet. But if they needed to, they would have gotten something uh, in place. And the belief is that it would have been to vote this into, uh, into you know, uh, make it official for the 2023 season. And the other big thing is they did meet with the TV partners on Wednesday to discuss this. So this is this is extremely advanced. This isn't just them throwing things out. And it shouldn't shock you. This is, I mean, we, we saw conference realignment happen exactly like this a year ago, um, where some people thought they were just rumors being thrown out on the table. And no, they were deals that had already been agreed upon. Um, and it seems like this is something that has been talked about for a while. Now, what it would eventually become is it would be what they call a 3 5 rotation model, which would leave behind the 6-2 model that they currently have right now. That means that you have three opponents that you lock in and play every single year from the conference, just in general, Atlantic or Coastal. Um, and then you have five that would be rotational. So the rest of the teams, the, the pool of 11 teams, um, or actually 10 teams, excuse me, um, would, you would then rotate. So year, so Actually, we were trying to do the math off air, but I'm an idiot and forget that you have to take out the, the yourself from the equation of the 14 teams. Um, so you take, you know, four teams out, you have 10. So that means that each, each, every two years, you would rotate back and forth and it would probably rotate between home and road, uh, at, you know, every four years. Um, but it leaves behind the system that they have now, which is you play everybody in your division, and then you have two crossover opponents, and one of those crossover opponents is a locked-in, quote-unquote, rival. Some teams, of course, don't have a rivalry, but for Carolina, they have NC State. So, um, you know, when, it, when you look at this model, you know, first of all, what do you think of the model? I, I, think, I think it's pretty good because I think, you know, you keep three important rivalries. And I think, you know, for the most part, you would consider Carolina to have three big rivals in the sport of football, three legitimate rivals in the sport of football. And it feels like a lot of other teams in the ACC, especially here in the state of North Carolina, are kind of in that same boat. And then you would, you know, with, with the five-team rotation that you would have, you're going to get to play a lot more teams in the ACC a lot more often. So, so what do you think of the model overall? I mean, it would allow you to play teams that you don't play very often, the Boston Colleges, the Syracuses, the Louisvilles of the world, you know, on an every year, every three-year basis. And as long as they give Carolina their three every-year opponents, um, which should be um, Virginia, NC State, and Duke, from a Tar Heel perspective, I, I think it would be a win-win situation. And then just for the ACC as a whole, going to that rotational model of five different opponents um, every year, you're going to get more high-profile matchups with other teams that right now you're just not seeing. You, you'll get to see some matchups um, between Virginia Tech and Clemson or Virginia Tech and, and Florida State 
that you just don't get to see right now because of the way that they that they do the scheduling as frequently as the ACC needs needs to happen because the ACC's has premier programs um, and look we need to get those programs back on a national level but it, it doesn't really matter if the premier programs aren't playing each other week in week out like they are in the SEC and the Big Ten but if you go to this model it'll allow that to happen and it'll be easier for the conference to market itself as a legitimate football conference, as opposed to just being Clemson and everybody else. So um, I, I think as long as they can find the, whether it's, it's the two opponents or the three opponents, I think for Carolina, it needs to be three. Um, as long as they, they figure it out, I think it's going to be a win-win for, for the Tar Heels and for the conference as a whole. Yeah. Well, I think at a minimum, it's, it's going to be three locked in opponents. I, I think that is, pretty much non-negotiable at this point, that that's the number that they've kind of settled on. Um, and, and you know, the five rotating makes perfect sense because, yeah, there are 10 different teams uh, outside of yourself and the three locked-in opponents that you would have that, – that are – that make up the rest of the conference, and you would rotate them back and forth. Um, yeah, for, for, the, for the, the conference itself – no brainer because you're going to put a lot of different combinations together and it's going to produce, I think, a lot better overall games. There's going to be more, you know, more national appeal, especially if let's say a team like Miami is able to be helped out that much by NIL. Well, you're going to get Clemson Miami more often than you would in this current system where and, and look, I don't care what they say. It's not even the amount of times that you play some of these teams. They make sure that they put certain teams with other teams more often than not. Leaving, I mean, stretches where you just don't play certain teams for six, seven, eight years at a time. Um, and, you know, look, th I, this system pretty much completely eliminates the need for what we saw Carolina do, um, you know, a, a, a few years back. Now it's got to be about five or six years back where they set up the out-of-conference matchups with Wake Forest that we mm -hmm. saw come to a conclusion this past year um, because they felt like they didn't play enough. And even in this scenario where, and I agree with you, I think there are people that have said, look, shouldn't it be just the big four or all – rivals together it's not that simple for Carolina because they've got the longtime rivalry matchup with Virginia and you cannot take that matchup out of there that is the longest standing rivalry in the south I just there is no way that you can take that off of your schedule you have to play that game each year and then clearly Duke is your biggest overall rival in terms of school brands and then when you talk about sp football specifically, you've got NC State. I've said it. That's one of the more underrated rivalries, I think, in all of college football in terms of just the animosity between the two sides. So to me, it makes perfect sense that those are the three. But there has been some pushback from people that say, look, Wake Forest deserves to be in there. What do you think about those people that say they're, that, that Wake Forest deserves to be that team in there over Virginia? That's recency bias playing in with what Dave Clawson um, is building right now in Winston-Salem, and, and I get that. There might be more intrigue right now to see those two schools go head-to-head -head every year, considering look at the last two games they've given us um, in back-to-back -back years. They've been instant classic. All, by the way, they were both Carolina wins. But Carolina and Virginia, that's, that's the South's oldest rivalry. That's what it's called because that's what it is. You can't. You can't take away what what that is because college football prides itself on its tradition and its pageantry. That's what Carolina and Virginia is. Even with even if one school or both schools are having a down year, though the, the the fan bases show up for those two for that for that game because how important it is to to both institutions. So it it needs it needs to be Virginia over Wake Forest. Um, you know, I'd be more inclined to put Wake Forest in over Duke on a football perspective just because of 
what Duke has historically been, but Duke's also a school that's eight miles down the road. And as you mentioned, from a marketing and a brand standpoint, Carolina's biggest rival overall as an athletic department is Duke, and it should be, um, just given how how close they are and how good they are in other sports. So um, for the people that, that are pushing back that Wake Forest needs to be in over Virginia, I'm not going to say – they don't know what they're talking about. You got to see it from the Tar Heel lenses. The Tar Heel lenses will tell you that third opponent needs to be Virginia. You just got to know the history of Tar Heel football. Like this is a rivalry with Virginia that has been going on for, I think it's like 126, 127 years now. Like this is, the, it's, that is a title. The South's oldest rivalry is not just a title that is there for show it is a legitimate title this is the longest standing rivalry that is being played in the south so it, it that's got to be on there um and, and you know with with duke i mean yeah i get what you're saying it, it's just yeah people have to realize look when you sing the alma mater in the alma mater is go to hell duke for a reason so that is you're always gonna have to play that my thing with the Wake Forest thing is, is look, I get that you don't want to go through the, the stretches that you went without playing them, um, where it was five, six, seven years without playing them. I get that. That makes sense. This new model will ensure that that does not happen. That'll ensure that doesn't happen with any team. Um, and I think, you know, that's that that should be satisfactory enough from a Tar Heel perspective. Now, look, from a Wake Forest perspective, I get it. I get it because I forget um, Andy Staples of Sports Illustrated, I believe, right? Yes. He he laid out uh, you know, what he thinks the proposed three protected teams would be for each team. Carolina, the ones that we said, that, that's a pretty easy one. Um, I don't remember who the other one was for Wake Forest, but – I mean, I think that's just something where they got to kind of deal with who they get, and you're still going to play Carolina pretty often. Um, for Carolina, I mean, I know that there were other people. I, I feel like Carolina is the team that everybody wants to play. I know uh, one of the guys that we, you know, co-ho or, or that is one of the, sta- the, the hosts on the station that we work for here in Charlotte uh, with, he was fired up about the fact that uh, Virginia Tech was – you know, going to potentially be playing, I forget, uh, it was Boston College, Syracuse, and Miami, I think, were the protected ones. Um, and he was he was angry, said that Boston College shouldn't be on there. Um, but my thing, and, and I'm pretty sure that he wanted Carolina in there. Every team, I feel like, wants Carolina to be one of those protected rivalries because it seems like there are a lot of teams – that hate Carolina a lot more than Carolina hates them, um, which is part of the issue. We've talked about that multiple times, um, especially with a team like Virginia Tech. But I I just, to me, those are the three non-negotiable, and everybody else, you're going to play them often enough, where, look, there is still going to be some pretty palpable heat between Virginia Tech and Carolina fans whenever they play between Wake Forest and Carolina fans whenever they play, because it's still an every other year occurrence. So I think this model makes perfect sense. Now, again, the other thing that has really taken the storylines by storm here over this offseason has been NIL, and it was just taken to a whole nother level when right before the deadline to enter the transfer portal, which was back on May 1st, Pittsburgh star wide receiver Jordan Addison entered the transfer portal and now looks as if he is going to head and play for USC under Lincoln Riley. Now that's not completely locked up. It looks like some teams, specifically Texas, is making a push to try to bring him in. And pretty much the belief is that this was something that was agreed to while he was still a part of the team. Basically, um, again, can't really speculate here. What most people believe is that him and Caleb Williams, uh, the, the current quarterback that uh, transferred from Oklahoma and is now a part of USC, participated with them in the spring, 
basically reached out to Jordan Addison and said, hey, man, come here and play. You're going to get some pretty great NIL deals, and uh, we can make this happen. Um, and the belief is that that was something that was kind of spearheaded by Lincoln Riley, the head coach of USC, um, basically told Caleb Williams, look, this is what we can offer him. Let that be known to him, and let's see if we can't get him in the transfer portal and get him to transfer here um, for his final season. That, of course, led to one of probably my favorite stories in all of college football in recent memory, which was that Pat Narduzzi, um, in one of the probably most predictable Pat Narduzzi moves ever, considering seeing him last year at ACC Media Days and kind of how he, he walks around about himself, um, decided that he was going to attempt to have a face-to-face -face meeting with Lincoln Riley to handle this situation. Um, and that pretty much was the final straw. Uh, you had basically one coach that said, I want to fight another coach. And that was when the NCAA decided that they needed to step in and do something about NIL and what was going on. They released new guidelines on Monday, and the new guidelines do, uh, as I, I understand it from reading a couple of articles, um, do make it illegal for uh, collectives to, uh, to, for collective groups to reach out to incoming student athletes or current student athletes uh, that are considering a transfer. Uh, can't reach out to the parents either. So uh, these are guys, you know, they can't reach out to recruits. They can't basically offer them deals before they uh, come there or to basically encourage guys to get into the transfer portal, which was the issue that we saw with Jordan Addison. So, uh, you know, first of all, I, I guess, I mean, is this, is this kind of what we were looking for from the NCAA? I know we wanted some regulations on, what was going on with NIL? Is this the area that you were hoping uh, they would, you know, go after these these groups, these collective groups, which are basically just, but pretty much just boosters posing as businesses to pay P, to to pay players to come and play there, or were you looking for maybe something a little bit different? There isn't really a whole lot they can do considering the fact that the Supreme Court told them that their model that they'd been running for for since they invented the NCAA was illegal and it violated antitrust laws and many different you know laws in the United States of America. But something had to be done to a certain degree because we had shifted from NIL to a pay for uh, you know a, a pay for play model. And that's not what NIL was intended to be. You and I are, are pro name, image, and likeness. These athletes deserve the, the right to profit off of their name, their image, and their likeness, considering how much these schools, these conferences profit off of what they do on a, on a, on a collective playing field. But it doesn't need to be what Nigel Pack did, a transfer in college basketball from Kansas State to Miami, who signed a and they and they re released it as a deal, a two-year, eight hundred thousand-dollar contract um, with a certain business to transfer to Miami. And, and you know, with what was being reported about Jordan Addison, where you're talking about north of over three million dollars in NIL money, um, with with housing being provided and stuff like that, um, it's 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 you know, I, I don't want to stand in the way of, of kids making money and setting themselves up for for their long-term futures, but that's not what college athletics is supposed to be about. That if it, because that you got to find some way to separate the pro model from the from the the college model, and, and the and the the, the, the pay-for-play model would just be a, a different form of free agency just in college athletics. So I don't know how much it's going to do. Um, this is this is their own fault though. Um, when NIL went through last July with no regulation. Um, and the biggest problem that I've had during the last nine months or so is we've heard every major talking head in college football crap a complain about the NIL, about NIL, whether it's Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, Kirby Smart, Ryan Day, whoever. And those guys, those guys have a voice. They have an ability to 
to make change instead of instead of just talking about it, they could go be about it, but they don't want to. And so this is why we are the situation that we are in. Um, I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make in the long term, but they had to do something because the last week and a half, two weeks, it was the wild, wild west in college football. And, and I mean, look, it was predictable. We, we knew that it was eventually going to get to this point um, with, with the model that they were going through. And, yes, NIL was something that needed to be put in place. There's a reason that it went to the Supreme Court. There's a reason that they went through all these different steps. I 100% get that. The problem is, is that it, wa- it wasn't that the NCAA didn't know that this was coming, that they got blindsided. No, they knew that this was coming. They were still stubborn enough to go all the way to the Supreme Court with this, a, a, a case that they probably should have known they were going to lose. And even in once it got to that point and it became inevitable that this was going to be something that was going to happen regardless they did nothing to try to, to, to try to get some sort of structure in place. They waited and it backfired on them. And now the last few months, look, I mean, it, it worked out because when it was initially put in place, you were getting ready to head into a season. So people weren't exactly focused on it. But yeah, really the, these last few months, and especially these last couple of weeks, it has been unreal. This is basically free agency in college football. And, you know, it's gotten to the point now where you almost have to wonder, is there, is there a way to reverse what all is going on? I don't know that there is. Um, I think that you're kind of at the point where it's become a pay-for-play and you might have to just – lean into it and go full pay for play. Um, And people will be saying, well, how does that really change what's going on right now? Well, if you go to that route, you can get contracts that are put in place that have stipulations that make it very similar to what goes on in professional sports. So I, I think that's, that's ultimately probably what you have to hope for. If you're, you know, somebody that wants a little bit more balance uh, throughout college football for this. And look, I think that people bring up the fact that this is going to give a little more balance to college football. This is going to bring a little more parity. Yeah, I guess if you're thinking that there's going to be some new teams that are going to join that group that's currently dominating college football. But we will be having these same discussions in a few years of, man, we're seeing the same teams that are dominating over and over again because this is uh, – it's just going to be certain schools that are going to be able to profit off of this. Look, you're seeing it already. Teams like Texas A&M, like Texas. I mean, this this might actually be what brings Texas and the U back because they have so much booster money behind it where Carolina – I mean, they frankly don't. People are not going to put the money into football. Right now, the focus is going to be on put this money into basketball and make that the strength of what you do because right now there aren't many people that would be able to compete with Carolina on that side of things. So I think the thing at this point that you'll wonder about with this from a Tar Heel perspective is do you think that at this point, if this happens, that the NC that that with where NIL is heading, if they can't get this thing on track, Carolina could be in trouble when it comes to the compete the, the keeping themselves competitive in college football. I don't know how much NIL regulation is going to impact that um, because if Carolina wins on the football field, they'll be able to recruit at the level that they want to recruit and they'll be able to get the players in from a transfer market that they'd want to get in. I, I don't know how much NIL is going to really impact that um, for, for this team because 
I, I don't think I don't think high profile players are looking at Carolina right now and say, well, it's, it's, is it worth it to go make a you know a few extra bucks to win five or six games and and not and not put myself in a better position to go pro or something like that? So I think it's I think it's twofold. I think if Carolina is winning big, I think there will be more boosters or more companies in the in the Tar Heel region of the world to to fork out NIL money, whether it's to, to current players or, or potential transfers. But if, if they're not winning, um, I, I don't think NIL is going to be something that could boost them like it could help a, a Florida State or a Miami because those programs, they have that tradition. They have that history of, of being a national power. Those kids the kids are going to be more willing to go to schools like that than Carolina, who's had some recent good success under Mac Brown. But Wiener year four, and they're at a crossroads. So um, I, I don't see NIL playing a big part of whether Carolina is competitive or not uh, going into this season and beyond. See, I, I, I think it's the opposite. I, I think that in a few years, if this stays the way that it is, Carolina would be in big trouble. The football program would be in big trouble because, frankly, most boosters around Carolina don't give a damn about Tar Heel football. Um, they are – more worried and probably as they should be, um, you know, about, about basketball, because that's what has worked to this point. Um, and, and that is, that, that is the one of the most successful programs on campus. Um, I mean, you look at, you know, women's soccer and field hockey, clearly, yes, those are more successful overall, but those are also nonprofit sports where this is a profiting, thriving sport in basketball. And for football, it's, it's just, you know, I, I hate to say it as the guy that covers football year-round year and, you know, is as closely tied to following the football team as, um, you know, any, any of us, you know, any of us that are, you know, involved here with the Heel Tough blog. But, it's just this is a team that right now does not have the results to back up putting a ton of money into at the, at the level that you'll need to to compete at the highest level. And I think what's going to end up happening if this continues the way that it's going is you are going to see the majority of the talent one way or another, whether it's straight out of high school or in the transfer portal, you're going to see these guys eventually – Trend, you know, trickle to these bigger schools. Most of the talent will flow to the big time schools, and you're going to see a divide. Um, I think with NIL right now, it's it's very clear to me the Power Five and non-Power Five will separate. I would be shocked if it's not within the next ten years. Um, I don't see any way that teams in the MAC, teams in the Conference USA are going to be able to keep up with what teams in the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, et cetera, are doing right now. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're eventually going to run into is the teams – but basically what will end up happening is there will be an even further divide. There will be a subdivide inside of the Power Five. You'll see teams that are going to be powerhouses, pretty much your teams that you're seeing right now, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, those types of teams will still be up there. But you'll have those other teams that will be joining in. USC once again, Miami, Texas, Texas A&M. There will eventually be a divide in the, within the Power Five where certain schools will have absolutely no chance of competing. And that is the concern for me, for a school like Carolina where where Football is, you know, a set, clearly a secondary sport still at this point. I know that we've said for years about how we're trying to make these two sports even in the eyes of people on campus. It's just not going to happen. And at this point, I, you know, nor should it because it's just not on the same level right now uh, in, in terms of the amount of success between the basketball program and the football program. So, yes, if you are a diehard fan of Toriel football, such as myself, you should be hoping 
for as many regulations, restrictions on NIL as possible, or you should want this to get to the point where you are just giving out pay-for-play money and you're basically signing these guys to contracts. That will be what I, I think can slow this down. Now, the, the other big thing that has to happen, I think, at some point here, and that I think could eliminate that possibility of what we were talking about there just a minute ago, you have got to limit the tampering that is going on. This is something, to me, I find it absolutely outlandish that these are rules that you have at all levels of professional sports. Tampering rules are in, in every single professional sport. You cannot talk to guys about joining your team if they are currently on another team or under contract. And look, I understand that NIL isn't exactly a contract with the team, but I think they need to basically write it up as that is sort of the deal. The way that these NIL deals need to be handed down is that, look, in the contract language with these guys, it needs to say that this is for when you are on this specific team. And when you are under that contract, that means that other teams cannot come and poach players off of your roster. This is something that never happened before NIL. Um, if, if it did, it was extremely, extremely rare. And I get that the transfer portal itself is part of the issue here, but you cannot have coaches from other from other teams in, in whether it's through back channels or there are probably guys that are literally just directly calling these players, their families, whatever, and trying to get them off of the roster. That simply just cannot happen moving forward. Well, it, it's not the problem with that is it's not just a coaching issue. It's a it's a player issue. Because players are recruiting, whether it's in a layup line or whether you're you're doing your, your pregame stuff or whatever, because that's that's what you see in professional sports is usually these teams, at least these high profile players that jump ship, they're doing it because they have friendships and bonds with other players. And, you know, with, with the way that college athletes work now where they've got all these camps where they spend the summers traveling around you know, you know, in high school, they, they meet all these guys, but they go to very different places. But now with a transfer portal where you can transfer and have to sit out a year and, and, and you got the NIL, it's easier for these guys to to hop online where they're playing video games or whatever it is and just kind of just nonchalantly recruit them. So something's got to be done on that um, because it, it, it is an issue from a from a coaching standpoint. Um, what Lincoln Riley and USC did, I mean, you can't say it's wrong because there's nothing that stood in the way of them doing that, but um, it's, it's, it's not what's good for, for the sport. It's not what college athletics should be about. So that's got to be the next step for the NCAA is to get more NIL regulation, uh, you know, on the way and, 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 and written up. But then you've got, you've got to eliminate tampering as best you can in the current climate of college sports because, because if not, there, there's, there's not going to be, there's not going to be the parity in these sports that we want them to have to make them more enjoyable, more watchable to the average fan, let alone the rabid fan. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just going to be this simple. Again, that group that I talked about just a minute ago, that is going to be the top tier of the Power Five, will pretty much just poach every single top tier player, and it's, it's even going to happen within those top tiers. There, there were apparently some offers for Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver, the star wide receiver at Texas, for him to enter the transfer portal and leave Texas to go elsewhere. I believe USC was the program that um, was rumored to potentially be trying to offer him around the same amount of money that they are offering Jordan Addison uh, in terms of NIL to come and play there. So you're talking about them going after some of the biggest stars in the sport. Like you are, I don't, in case you don't realize how big of a domino Jordan Addison is, this is the Bolitnikoff award winner from a year ago. And a guy that was more than deserving of the award. We got a firsthand look at him when Carolina went on the road on that Thursday night 
and played against Pittsburgh. This dude's legit. And you're talking about maybe the best wide receiver again this year. I say maybe because, man, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a heck of a player. But, I mean, you're talking about one of the at least two or three best players at his position entering the transfer portal to leave a team that was seen as, by most accounts, a top 15 team. And if everything worked out with the transfer quarterback that they got, awkwardly from USC, in Keaton Slovis, this could be a team that could finish inside of the top 10 again this year and is leaving that situation to go and play at a team in USC that, look, we think has a chance to be really, really good under Lincoln Riley. But to be honest, it's not a guarantee at this point because how many times have we been there with USC and they've come up short? So that's the thing that is scary. And look, if you're thinking, well, you guys haven't mentioned any Toriel players that have been approached. Guys, there have been rumors that Josh Downs was talked to by people with Georgia about transferring there. Now, apparently, it appears that he was not interested in that. But honestly, I guess you never know. That's still probably that that it still could be a possibility, especially if his brother was to commit there out of high school. So it's it's this is a wild time where literally whenever you are you you are playing games in the middle of the season when you're in spring practice during the year really in these moments where you feel like your roster is normally safe now you have guys you you, you have no idea you have to always be preparing for the possibility that out of nowhere a guy could just say you know what I'm entering the transfer portal and it's not just a guy that is not receiving playing time, that is looking for a situation closer to home, what the transfer portal, what the free transfer rule was put in place to initially do. These are guys that are potential superstars on your team that are looking and saying, I have a better chance to make money at this school as opposed to the situation that I'm in right now. doesn't matter that I'm tearing it up at the school that I'm at right now. Doesn't matter that I'm potentially a first round draft pick at the school that I'm at right now. There could be an opportunity to make even more money. This is the scary part about what's going on. And it's why, and I, I mean, I'm interested to hear what you have to say on this. I know there are a lot of people that are afraid of it. But like I said a little while ago, I think that at this point, you may just have to lean fully into pay for play and get these, get, these guys basically into what they have in the pros contracts. Yeah. I'll, I'll always push back on that. Um, I'm not, I'm, I don't want college athletics to, to go to that model uh, because then simply you're, you're, you're no longer college athletics. You're a developmental product for the, for the professional sport that you're playing. Are, are you really level. quick though? Are you, with NIL, with the way that it is run right now and the way that some of these lawyers are going to fight back when they try to put in some of these regulations and restrictions, are you basically not there already? Well, no, because if you you're signing contracts, you're you're signing you're you're, you're signing a, a limit where then the pushback is going to be because the Supreme Court told them you're violating antitrust laws and a handful of other laws. These kids, and especially in this this world we live in today, it's a free market. They don't want to put a, a a cap on how much money they can make. And you know this this was the the issue with them with 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 them going and allowing the states to make their own NIL rules. You know, last summer, but without giving any guidelines or or any over, overseeing. Um, authority before they went into it. So now you're having to backtrack and you're, 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 you're trying to play from behind. And uh, I, 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 I don't want, I don't want pay for play. Um, I don't mind the kids profiting off of their name, their image and likeness. They deserve every right to do that. But 
Um, at some point, you got to keep what makes college athletics college athletics as special as they are. And uh, I think if you, if you go to a pay-for-play model in that system, that will all be eradicated. And I think the overall interest in college sports would go down over the next 10 to 15 years. And um, for you and I, guys, that are we're, – we're college – we're college football and college basketball junkies. That's, those are the reasons why we, we, we do what we do. It's the reason why we have the careers that we have. And I, I don't ever want to see money or, or those type of decisions affect my interest in watching a sport that I grew up loving for the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so. So um, that'll be something that I, I will always push back on, on a, um, on a, on a pay for play model for college athletics. I, I, I've, Look, I was with you for the longest time. Um, I've gotten to the point now where I think that's the only solution. Because I think that, like I said, you're going to see that division. Um, and as somebody that, look, I love the general sport of college football. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I love the general sport of college basketball. And look, I think in college basketball, Carolina will be fine. But I am a guy that does want to see both of these sports thrive at this university. And I think that the only way that with the current model, which is going to be so hard to regulate and fix because you, you royally screwed the pooch on this one. Um, and, and again, and, and here's the thing, if you're looking for somebody to blame, if it does get to the pay for play model, there is nobody to blame but Mark Emmer. That's, that, that's why that dumbass is resigning at the end of the year, and rightfully so. He is the most useless commissioner, just guy that runs sport, uh, a sport or sports group overall. And that's really saying something. Because Gary Bettman is one of the biggest morons on planet Earth. And Rob Manfred, I've never seen somebody that – devalues his sport more than Rob Manfred. But there is nobody that has destroyed his sports worse than Mark Emmert. And I think this is the point that you're kind of at. With the NIL, this is not name, image, and likeness. The, getting a Lamborghini the other day like Bijan Robinson did, basically to keep him at Texas. That is exactly what that was. That is, hey, we're basically having a booster give you a car. Now, they're saying that it is under the guidance of he is getting it through this dealership. That dude ain't doing no commercial. I haven't seen no commercial that's come out for that dealership. He got a Lamborghini car so that he could stay at Texas. But right now, it's legal. That's the point that you are at. And this, this thing, this notion that, well, this has been going on for years. Yes, guys have been getting paid for years in college sports. It has happened, but it's not to the level that you're seeing right now because it's all legal right now until these guidelines were put in place. It was all legal. You could do whatever you wanted. And there were, there, there was no, you, you could take people to court over it. And by the letter of the law, you would be technically right. So I think you've gotten to this point where if you want to keep the parity in the sport, I think that ultimately you have to go to the pay-for-play model. And we were taught what, what was one of the main selling points that we had about the future of college football last offseason. Well, they're going to expand the playoff. There's going to be more parity in the sport. We need more parity in the sport. That's why I think you have to get to this point. It sucks that that's the point that you have to get to but you've kind of reached the point of no return because you have a giant dumbass that is running the NCAA. And I don't care that he's out after next year or whatever the hell he actually is out. There is no, there is nobody that's going to be able to come in and fix the mess that this dude has caused. And it, it's a shame, but I think that's the point that we're unfortunately at. Um. We're going to take a break. We'll come back, uh, take, you know, uh, we'll uh, take you through uh, some of the latest storylines that are going on in the world of recruiting uh, for Carolina, including Carolina 
uh, landing in the top 10 for one of their big targets in the 2023 class. And we'll also tell you about a guy that is entering the transfer portal. This one flew under the radar, but another guy that Carolina is losing off of their roster from a year ago. Stick around. We'll come back right after this message from DraftKings here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big day, a big payday during the NBA playoffs with DraftKings same game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPNXX. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Hey guys, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta with you, Josh Marlowe as well. Let's head to those closing notes. And as we mentioned, Carolina in the top 10 for one of their top targets in the 2023 class. That would be 2023 three-star cornerback Braden Marshall. He released his top uh, schools list last night. Carolina in there. This is a guy out of the state of Florida that Carolina got in on late, but they have been pushing for him here at a Lake Mary High School. He was just on campus this past weekend, um, and and he's a guy that, you know, Carolina, th- th- this is one of the guys Carolina's got to lay. Actually, he is a four-star. Excuse me. He is right on that borderline of a four-star, uh, four but according to the composite rankings, 24-7 sports, uh, they do list him as a three-star, but the composite rankings have him as a four-star. Um, this is one of the big targets for Carolina in a, a class where – they are having to go outside of the states of North Carolina and Virginia to land guys. Um, he, he does have an official visit now scheduled. He is going to be on campus uh, J- June 24th through the 26th. That is going to be an extremely popular weekend, as we'll uh, tell you about here in just a second. Um, but focusing on Marshall, uh, you know, right as the number – 39 cornerback in the 2023 class, number 70 player in the state of Florida. So uh, this is an area that Carolina is, is sort of pushing into a little bit more. We've seen a lot more offers here and especially in the state of Georgia. And uh, one of the primary, you know, guys I think that's having an influence here is Charlton Warren. This is an area where he had a lot of success in his time at some of the other schools. And it's, Looking like it's starting to pay off here as well. Also, doesn't help. Doesn't hurt that Dre Bly has had so much success uh, going, you know, and 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 recruiting big time names like Tony Grimes uh, in in recent years. And look, he's also gone into the state of Florida a couple of times and the state of Georgia to get guys in that defensive backfield. And that's really the area where they've been focusing a lot of those offers recently. Marshall is a guy that Carolina has to feel pretty good about where they're at after the visit to campus that he took over the weekend. But uh, as of right now, Carolina, one of those final 10 uh, that will be battling uh, Carolina right now, one of just two that it looks like has a scheduled official visit. Uh, Penn State has an official visit scheduled with him for the weekend before Uh, in terms of the top 10 Carolina, Arkansas, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Clemson, Penn State, uh, Miami, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and UCF are his top ten. Um, but as we met, as I mentioned just a minute ago, that final weekend in June is going to be a big one for Carolina. They also have three-star defensive lineman Joshua Horton, who announced that he will be on campus for an official visit that weekend. 
three-star safety, another guy out of the state of Florida that Carolina has been on for a while here. And Zachary Toby will be on campus then as well. And also three-star interior offensive lineman from the state of Georgia. Carolina is battling NC State and Vanderbilt for this guy's commitment at this point. And Robert Grigsby comes out of North Cobb High School in Kennesaw, Georgia. That's where uh, Carolina did pluck Cayman Rucker from uh, and, and definitely is a guy that's worth keeping an eye on. All four of those guys are going to visit on that final weekend of June. So that's going to be a huge weekend. Carolina also has a bunch of guys that will be coming in uh, on the weekend of May 20th. So uh, a couple of big-time recruiting weekends for Carolina upcoming as it looks like there are going to start being some decisions here uh, Mac Brown did say, look, I expect the month of May and June to be uh, pretty, pretty big months in recruiting for this Carolina team. There are going to be some big names that are going to decide. And so far, that seems to be coming to fruition. Of course, Carolina did land a commitment from three-star offensive tackle out of the state of Virginia, Nolan McConnell. Um, we are going to talk about that here in an upcoming episode uh, that you guys will be able to check out. Me and Zach Hubbard, he is back. We will be recording that podcast tomorrow, so that'll go up over the weekend for you guys to check out. We'll break down Nolan McConnell and talk a little bit about some of uh, these other guys that are closing in on decisions, some of the big-time official visits that will be coming up, so make sure that you guys – Stay tuned for that edition of the podcast. The other note that I didn't want to throw out there for you guys, Carolina does lose a guy to transfer. That is redshirt freshman kicker Tegan Linderink. He is transferring to Liberty, the walk-on kicker a year ago. Did not play for Carolina, um, and it looks like uh, there were a couple of guys that were probably ahead of him on the depth chart, of course, this year. Even with the departure of Grayson Atkins, it looks like that spot is relatively secure. Jonathan Kim looks like he will be getting the first crack at the kicking duties. The junior who has handled the kickoff duties for the Tar Heels each of the last two seasons will now transition into that place kicker role. So that wraps up this edition of the podcast. Guys, make sure you head over to the website. Check out all the stuff that we've got up there for you guys now. Um, there is a great article that I put up uh, that, that you guys seem to really enjoy um, last night. Make sure you guys go and check that out. Uh, it is an article where we talk about some of the options that Carolina could possibly have in the transfer portal at wide receiver. That was a spot that Mac Brown said in spring practice Carolina was still looking at. It feels like, look, they said they liked some of the things that they saw from Kobe Paysauer. Um, as well as uh, J.J. Jones and some of the other guys. But it feels like that's still an area, especially with the lack of depth, that Carolina could use another guy at uh, when it comes to this 2022 roster. So we give you three names that are in the transfer portal that we think Carolina should at least give a look to at this point. Also up on the website, as I mentioned, we have uh, the breakdown of Nolan McConnell's commitment. And we do have an article up there about some of the guys that have narrowed down their decisions here recently. The most recent ones, we have not added those uh, to that article, but uh, there are uh, some big-time guys that have narrowed down their decisions here just within uh, now about the past month. Uh, but you can go and check that out over there on the website. Um, in terms of the basketball side of things, things have calmed down a little bit here since we've uh, gotten past that transfer deadline. Um, but we are still going to be keeping an eye uh, on, you know, uh, what some of, you know, the guys that Carolina are pursuing uh, on the transfer portal are going to do about their NBA futures. Primarily, Matthew Mayer of Baylor. Uh, he's a guy that Carolina uh, has looked at uh, in the portal and, and uh, is, you know, looks like they are pretty closely tied to. Uh, he has followed a couple of uh, guys around the program here recently, followed uh, one of Carolina's assistant coaches, Sean May, and did follow Leaky Black as well. So it's worth keeping an eye on what he does in terms of his NBA future. Um, we're also going to have uh, you covered throughout the offseason. Joshua will have you covered on what's going on with Brady Manick as he tries to pursue an NBA career as well. Um, so all that stuff will be on the website at HeelToughBlog.com. When it comes to the podcast, 
Wherever you get your podcast, you can find the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Ton of different options for you, whether you're an Apple Podcast person, Google Podcast, Spotify, or if you're you know somebody that likes some of those bigger apps where you listen to um, all sorts of different types of podcasts, Audible, all those great spots. You can check it out right now. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Also, while you're there, check out the Four Corners Podcast. For uh, the basketball side of things, we've got uh, one of my favorite episodes potentially of the podcast coming up where Josh gets to sit and read off why he was wrong about Hubert Davis. Doesn't really get much better than that, guys. So you're going to want to check that out. Again, you can find that podcast, same spots that you can find the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Um, and you can also check it out on the Facebook page. That's where you get everything all in one location. All the audio editions of the podcast, video editions of the podcast, we're hoping to bring those back at some point to you. And of course, all the articles in one central location at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Uh, you can just search Heel Tough Blog in the search bar as well. And then over on Twitter, it's at Heel Tough Blog over there as well. And then you can follow us on our personal pages at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB Josh for Josh. And at Hack Zubber 2 for Zach Hubbard. So that wraps up this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Cardinals.